The Amazing People Podcast, episode 35. Welcome to the Amazing People Podcast, where ordinary people from all walks of life do amazing things in life and business, with your host, Chip Dizard. Hey, what's going on? Thanks again for tuning in to this episode, number 35. We got 35 in the can here, so I'm pretty proud of that. And thanks for sticking with me and sticking around me. The podcast listenership has grown and grown and grown. So one thing that I say that I want to serve the audience, whether it's 10 or 10,000, I'm faithful to that. So I want to keep on making podcasts. We'll take a break for a few weeks as we're going to change podcast hosts, but we'll be back um, after a few more shows and we'll be back better than ever in September. So we'll take a few weeks off in August, like two or three weeks, and then we'll be back at it. Uh, right after the Labor Day holiday. But anyway, um, before we get started, I want to just talk to you today about uh, just the podcast. And I, first of all, I just want to thank everybody. These episodes have really, really um, been good. And when I say good, I'm not talking about because I'm good. It's just because the people that I've had the chance to interview have been good. So a lot of people say, well, why should you call amazing people? I haven't done anything amazing. I haven't, you know, done anything really. I'm just, you know, doing what I need to do. And the truth of the fact is, and the matter is that if you're doing good work um, and you're grinding it out every day, to me, you are amazing because there are so many people and, you know, that don't strive for greatness. They say it, but they don't do it. So, the people that I've been fortunate to have and future guests as well. So to continue to do good work. So um, without further ado, we want to get into my friend Muta segment. And, you know, he talks about the unrelenting optimist and he brings a good power packed word about four or five minutes. You have to listen to it. Don't fast forward. Listen to what he has to say. And then we'll get back into our main guests right after Muta. Hey guys, this is Mutamwenya from Mutamwenya.com, a blog that is dedicated to unrelenting optimists who know there is a big God who can use little us to accomplish big things for His glory. On this segment, I want to share with you three simple things you should know to increase your productivity. Let me begin by asking you this. How do you stay focused? I remember watching an online event hosted by Sean King, who is the founder of 100lifegoals.com. During his interview with blogger and author John Acuff, he asked him that very question, how do you stay focused? If you don't know Sean King or John Acuff, you should. These guys are unrelenting optimists who are accomplishing great things and inviting others along with them on the journey. When John was asked how he stayed focused, his answers were really simple but on point. We'll get to those answers in just a moment. But if if you're like me, you know focus can be difficult at times, especially when you have a number of things on your plate. To be totally transparent, for me, lack of focus made me drop out of college when I was younger and had the golden opportunity to have my education paid for. Uh, lack of focus made me quit a great online business concept, which I was working on, and now I sit and wonder, what if? Sometimes lack of focus leads me to browse through Facebook, uh, Instagram images, or spend too much time doing the countless mindless things that delay me from accomplishing my goals. 
Maybe at times you've had these same challenges. We need help. If we are to stay on course with our goals and live the abundant life Christ has called us to live, we need to be focused. We need some practical steps like these laid out by John Acuff. Okay, so let's let's jump into these simple uh, steps. Number one, allow yourself some downtime. Let the church say amen. For, for the sake of your own sanity and those around you, take some meaningful time to rest and recharge. This sounds easy, but when you have goals to accomplish, it's hard to intentionally stop and smell the roses, as the saying goes. If we don't slow down, our fatigue causes us to easily be distracted by mindless activities that steal time from our productivity. Number two. Know what you need to get done. If we have a clear understanding of what's important and what's not, we'll be able to know how to maximize or prioritize our tasks for maximum productivity. Finally, number three. See, they're short and simple. Know how you work. Let me use myself as an example. I'm most reflective in the mornings. So during the mornings, I work on personal development through reading scripture and listening to my favorite podcasts. Uh, I write best in the afternoon. So in the afternoon, that's when I write blogs or uh, if I'm working on a new curriculum or whatnot, that's when I do the writing. My creative and analytical time is later in the day. So I work on those creative tasks then. You get the point. Figure out how you're wired and plan your schedule accordingly. That's it. I think these are some great suggestions. These are doable. Allow yourself some downtime. Know what you need to get done and know how you work. As you develop this rhythm, your focus is going to be at an all-time high. It has been for me. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter, I am Mutamunya, or catch my latest post on Mutamunya.com. That's M-U-T-A-M-W-E-N-Y-A.com. Catch you in the next podcast. Thanks a lot for that powerful and encouraging word for all of us to take note, Muta. Now, today's guest is uh, a friend of mine, and I call her a friend. And uh, the funny thing about it, we have never met in person. Isn't that the great thing about the Internet? You be friends with people uh, by just a virtual relationship and mutual respect. So everyone I consider a friend and not uh, not everyone, but this uh, lady I do consider a friend. And uh, she is in Tampa, Florida right now, but she's from all over. You'll hear her story. Her name is Sarah K. Asafati. So you want to listen to her name and listen to her story. Sky Media. The first thing that struck me about Sarah when I met her, I don't, Sarah, you'll probably listen to this and have to correct me. I don't even know how we met. Just probably mutual friends through somebody who somebody who does uh, uh, media. We like to know people, uh, you know, in our in our in our world who are connected. So since we both uh, work in video, we both love photography, both love creative things. I guess that you kind of have a pulse. But anyway, enough about that. I want to talk to you about Sarah because she is a main person and the main reason uh, on this podcast. And I think this is a really good conversation with her. 
And uh, I titled this episode, uh, the resource broker. And when I heard that name, it was just so different. So when you hear that name, just imagine what's a resource broker. Do you think of home sales? Do you think of, when I think of broker, I think of a, a sales rep or some kind of, you know, offer letter when I'm signing for my mortgage or, you know, but she really is a resource broker. And this goes back to a previous podcast, about two podcasts ago, you'll hear it with Mark Sievercrop, uh, intentional networking. And, and this podcast has all been about networking, you know, with amazing people. We've had a lot of church tech people and other people in here, but it's been basically about networking and how you grow it, how you, how you meet people. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be a networker. I don't think I know a lot of people, but I looked at, it, I said, man, we do know a lot of people. I know a lot of people who do really good stuff. So, um, not only she's a resource broker, a producer, director, and she's chief imaginator at Sky Media Productions and Film. So she's a film division, a production division, makes some excellent, excellent work. And all of her links will be in the show notes. And trust me, she does good work. And I am I am proud to call her my friend. So you will hear from Sarah next. I will get out of your way because she's going to tell her her story. And then she has a very interesting story about some blogs she has written and some other things. And she has a fascinating reading list. And just so Sarah, you can hear this. Hopefully we'll do our podcast in 2015 or something like that, because she and I always said, you know, we're going to work together. We just have to wait till the time is right. And timing is everything. So right now the time is for Sarah and her voice. You will hear next. Um, I just want to talk to you, well, first of all, about your background, Sarah, and thanks for coming on, and about your background and in media. I know we both into video media, but how did you get into, uh, you know, just video production and, and media? Well, you know, that's it's a very convoluted story. I started in media in front of a camera at the age of 12. So that has been, oh, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but that's been more than 20 years ago. So, um, I, I started in media when I went on a mission trip and I spent a month in the Micronesian islands. And when I came back and, and it was without my parents, I went with a group of doctors and nurses. And when I came back, I was so fired up about my story. And my parents said, well, why don't you write this Christian, um, TV broadcasting network and see if they want to hear about your story maybe they would want to interview you. My, my parents are, do not suffer from shyness or uh, hesitancy with stuff like that. So um, my mom said, you know, you want to tell your story? You were the first foreign Caucasian child to ever have gone to some of these islands way out in the middle of the Pacific. They didn't know what to do with me. They were coming up and rubbing my skin and feeling my hair because it was it was a throwback like to 150 years ago because they had never seen an American Caucasian child before. And so it had deeply impacted me. I had worked side by side with these doctors and nurses and I wanted to tell the story. And I'm probably, you're going to want to edit some of this out. I'm just telling you the story. So do. Yep. Uh, I, I do little anyway, editing. I want this to be just as real as possible. Oh, okay. So okay. go ahead. I'm self-edit here. I'm to, yeah. Anyway, so okay. getting back to the point of things. I came back. I wrote my story. And I said, you know, I had this really unique experience. And it was deeply impactful for me. And I'd like to share it with your audience. Would you like to hear about a 12-year-old kid going on a mission trip? alone in this place where, you know, um, American kids have never been before. 
and they wrote me back and said, great, uh, we'd like to. So we went. My whole family drove like three states away to interview on 3ABN, and they did this, this whole thing, and then at the end of it, the one of the executive producers came up and said, we've been wanting to start a TV show for teens, and we need a host. We want a teen host. We would like you to consider being the teen host. Wow. So a year later, at the age of 13, I went back to become the TV show host. So you're like a child star. <laughs> International Christian Network. It was terrible. I couldn't go into any little Adventist church anywhere without somebody going, Oh my goodness, you're that girl from Canadian. And I, <laughs> I wanted to hide after a while. But anyway... Um, it was it was a really cool experience. The first day, they got all the stuff set up. We did all the test shots. And then they said, okay, we have time to record one episode before lunch. Let's roll. And my parents had kept telling me, you know, you need to prep what you're going to say, how you're going to introduce yourself. And I'm like, ah, I have never been in lost, lost for words in my entire life. You know, as a, only a 13-year-old can be so confident and cocky. And I said, I, I'm sure I'll be fine. They told me to look into the camera. They counted me down. And if you had had a gun to my head, I could not have told you my own name. I completely froze. And we tried it again. And I completely froze. And we tried it again. And finally they said, why don't we go ahead and break for lunch early? And you go take a little bit and figure out what you're going to say. <laughs> and that was my introduction to media. Wow. Wow. So a couple years later, my or actually only a year later, my family moved overseas to Russia, and we were working with a, a um, branch of that same international Christian TV network. My parents were working on the administrative side, and while I was there, I got to work with transcription and scripting and um, practicing with a camera behind the scenes and being around a TV studio in the mission field. Mm. So that in continued my interest in it. Um, and then I kind of, I kind of set it aside for a while. I, there were other things going on. Life took over and I didn't do a whole lot with media until college when I got involved in the marketing side of things. Um, through Academy, I worked with yearbook and public relations and that kind of stuff. So those are skills I still use, obviously, in marketing and media, but it wasn't directly with media production. Mm -hmm. And then in college, um, worked with, with public relations, marketing, recruiting, continuing skills with working with people that have come in very handy as, you know, coaching talent on set. And, and being able to look at the big picture of a marketing campaign and figure out how to break it down into achievable, achievable steps. And um, then when, um, when I graduated and was in grad school, mm -hmm. I got an opportunity to work with an international faith-based research center. Okay. Um, for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists under Adventist Mission called the Center for Secular and Postmodern Studies. Okay. And it okay. was based out of the UK, um, even though it's a general conference entity, the, the, lo the headquarters location was in the UK. And I came on um, as assistant director and ended up moving up to associate director. And my role there was resource production, team management, marketing, 
public relations and so on for all of the training events that we were doing. And we were doing like 60, 70 a year. Wow. So an intense amount of training events in countries all over the world and doing that event planning and so on. But what got me back into video production was the fact that we realized we needed video media to be able to give to the people, not only to use in our training sessions, but to give to the people who wanted to reach the more secular and postmodern world more effectively. Mm -hmm. So it fell to me to hire a crew, work with script writing, develop our ideas, and and then oversee the the production management. Um, so that's how I got back into it. And did you have experience doing all of this stuff prior to getting back into it? Did you have experience? I mean, you had experience, but like being a producer kind of. No. Okay. Okay. No, it was totally um, take everything I've learned from scraps of everything else I've ever done and uh, put it together and mm -hmm. uh, work, burn the candle at both ends to make sure we don't screw things up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you were overseas in Russia and uh, you were obviously still new to this. When did you come back to the United States and start oh, doing media there? back when I was still in my teens. I came back, went to academy, went to college. So okay. we were overseas in Russia for a, a, like years and years or anything. Um, and then and then by the time that I was in grad school, when I started working with the, the research center, um, I got to travel. I got to travel back to Russia and do training events over there. And, and then working in the UK, we had a, a crew that was based in the UK, but I managed them even though I lived in the US. So a lot of remote team management. And then, and then, after seven years, I uh, got it, we we found out we were expecting our first child, and um, the month before he was born, I ended up taking a break from all of that and spending the next two years at home. So we had two kids in that period of time, one right after the other, and after that, uh, actually before my daughter was born, our second child, I started getting phone calls that I was not soliciting. Um, I started getting phone calls. Can you, can you manage this? So-and-so needs a, a marketing campaign you've done, you've overseen and produced and directed other video. Would you be willing to try your hand at a TV campaign? Would you be willing to do this or that? And my response was, if you call and it's something I can do, my answer is yes. Mm -hmm. So when our daughter was 12 weeks old, I started working again wow. from wow. home. Okay. Okay. My my creative my criteria at that point was no travel. I had two little kids under the age of eighteen months. <laughs> yes, but yes. Um, out of that, uh, I, I realized the calls kept coming, and so I started my own company. Wow! So once you started that your own company, and you know, getting clients and getting stuff. You had two young kids, you managed that. And then I guess now you started, well, years later, I'm fast forwarding now, you start to travel more, do more uh, broader projects, larger budget projects too as well, right? Correct, correct, yeah. Um, yes, and, and honestly, I've never gone looking for projects. So that has been something that's kind of been my deal with God. I'm a mother, first and foremost. My husband's a pastor, so I'm also a pastor's wife. That means there's a lot of church stuff to be taken care of. Um, but my my deal with God is people call me, and I will give it serious consideration. But I'm not necessarily going out trying to 
track new jobs down. Um, and, and part of, see, part of, I don't know, you're, you're going to take an editing yeah, on this yeah, because yeah. I'm trying to figure out exactly what I'm saying here. Um, I work in, I work in media, but video is not the only thing that I do. Okay. And here's how I would say it. I've been blessed to get to know a lot of people over the years and to develop solid relationships with a lot of people over the years. So what I've discovered is that when people need something done in the niche area of marketing, public relations, project management, and media, they call me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I can't do it myself, I know somebody who can get it done well. Mm-hmm. So in essence, yes, I'm a producer and director in media, and I enjoy that very much. But the umbrella over that is that I'm a resource broker. Mm-hmm. So I have the ability to introduce quality people to each other and to take the pressure off of getting the job done by overseeing it and making sure that the quality is there for clients who need it done. That, that makes total sense, Sarah. I mean, that's, I mean, if you, you move out of, because I know in today's society, we all immediately, we do multiple things. It's not like my uncle, you know, is, is in his, is in his late and mid sixties. And when he got in the media, uh, late sixties and he's like, you know, I was just a cameraman. But now you just can't be a cameraman you, or a camera right. woman. You have to do multiple things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like you said, a resource broker. That's a great, a great, ti- great title. So tell me about SKA, SKA, your, your, your company, and what kind of projects you do. Well, it, I, I, we actually call it Ska Media. Ska Media, uh-huh. Yeah, one word, Ska Media. Mm-hmm. And I actually have two companies, if you want to be technical. I have Ska Media Productions, which covers everything except video and film. And then Scott Media Films, which is exactly what it says. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we tell stories. Mm -hmm. And our niche has become taking people who are not accustomed to being in front of the camera. Your average person who is not a newscaster or an actor or anything like that. Coaching them to tell their story in an emotional and persuasive and gripping way and capturing that on film. Mm. Right now, we're working with several projects. Uh, we've, we've done, we've done in, the, in the past two or three years, we've done work with um, a sleep apnea franchise. We did all of their, their television commercials and three whole marketing campaigns with all the print collateral and everything that goes with it. Um, We've done three years of stories for mission weekends for Florida hospital in the Tampa Bay area. Um, We have just done, um, I just wrapped on a, uh, a, a video introducing and promoting an orphanage in Haiti that uh, started after the earthquake was finished, uh, after in the devastation of the, the 2010 earthquake. And um, so, you know, fundraising videos, all of those telling individual stories. Um, so we actually sent a shooter to Haiti 
to, to do that. And the, the biggest project right now on my plate is a, um, a citywide marketing campaign for the city of San Antonio, Texas. And we were contracted by the Texas conference to come up with a brand and all of its encompassing pieces to ultimately to increase awareness about the Seventh-day Adventist church and its members across the city of San Antonio. Now, for Seventh-day Adventists in our audience that are listening to this, uh, they will know that in 2015, in July of 2015, one year from now, um, the general conference session will descend upon San Antonio. And you'll be there, right? Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> of course. Okay. okay. And um, that'll be fifty to 80,000. I'm not sure what the projected numbers are for this next year. Mm-hmm. But it will be tens of thousands of Adventists from all over the world. The world. So every five years, we have this huge convention. And nobody in the local city or the local downtown area really knows who Adventists are. And so for 10 days, you know, nobody wants to buy the pork sausages on the kiosk at the corner or whatever. And everybody's like, what? Who are all these strange people? So Texas is really thinking ahead. And they said, let's do an awareness campaign about who Seventh-day Adventists are from the perspective of loving Jesus. Nice. Knowing Jesus. Nice. And the things that make life better when you know mm-hmm. Jesus. And were you in Atlanta in 2010? I was. Okay. Yeah. So was I. Okay. I was in um, St. Louis. I was in Toronto. So okay. So my fourth session in a row okay good for you so yeah yeah, my first one was atlanta and i never experienced anything like that yeah yeah i never been i just it was no excuse for me to go not to go to atlanta i had so many friends and people family down there so yeah san antonio i've been to san antonio the river walk but it'll it'll be a it'll be a really good time i don't know what i'm gonna be doing down there but i'll i'll probably come down there i don't have an official role with bells on i know it We'll see. I don't know yet. We'll see. But I wanted to also talk about um, um, not only what you've been doing, but also when we t- we started talking about uh, just blogging and social. And uh-huh. I know that's how we met kind of on social media. But right. tell me about the value. And, and I really like the perspective you bring. And I, I just say because I have three daughters and I'm just surrounded by women in my house. I just really value to me a female perspective. Let me just tell you why, Sarah. Not only when I work with with women, uh, I just think that you, first of all, you are multitask a lot better than what we ever do as men. <laughs> first of all, yeah, I, just saying that you have a, a date the babies basically, and then still do what you have to do. I, I marvel at my wife, and then second of all, uh, just to get the things done and the perspective. Um, and you talked about in your medium blogs, uh, I was reading the one I really, really enjoyed is about the international filmmaker syndrome. If you could talk about that blog, I'll link to it for people who are listening to this. It's a really interesting two minute read, but interesting blog. Talk about that for me. Okay. Well, you know, I think I can't speak from a man's point of view. Obviously I'm a woman. Um, but so speaking as a woman, I think that entrepreneurs, self-made business people, at least for women, and I think so for some men too, there's, there's always this, this fear that you're not good enough. 
that somebody out there is going to find out that you may not know everything about what you're doing. And I know in my experience, if I, if I think about it cognitively, I can step back and say, I am a competent professional in a variety of areas. And I know I do very good work. But I've also been taught not to brag about oneself and that that's not cool. And I think we especially teach that to women as opposed to men. For men, it's a bit different. You're able to say, hey, this is what I did. And women kind of say, well, my team and I, we worked together. And, and there, are, there are positive and negatives on both. But there's often, especially among creatives, this instinctive feeling that because there are other people who could probably do it better, your work isn't good enough. And somebody's going to find out and the, it's all going to be over. Yeah, and, and we have a male-dominated kind of creative, at least with the video production side. I don't know about the marketing side as well, but it's to me, it's more male-dominated. Am I correct? Um, you know, I think it may be slightly less male-dominated in marketing because that creative multitasking thing is a key yes, aspect I agree. of marketing. So I think there are more women in marketing than there are in directing, producing, and media production. Yeah, media. yeah. I hired my first, just a sidebar, I hired my first female camera person to do weddings. It's the best decision that I've ever made two years ago. And she is like, shoots way better than any other man. She does a glide cam. Just people don't know what a glide cam is, but she shoots way better than any other dude that I've ever hired. And uh, she puts a lot of men to shame. And I'm like, she is great. So I'm never going back. <laughs> Female camera people, people think that they're not, you know, can't handle the equipment. And other, no, a lie. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lie. And then we have culture, how, you know, a Going back to the whole, like, a good girl doesn't brag, but, but men, you know, it's it's considered good leadership to let people know what you've accomplished. And I see it in my son and my daughter. You know, you, you have a, a girl come up, and, and it's like, oh, well, she's bossy. And my son is, is um, I mean, when you have a little girl who who's outgoing or whatever, people often, that's what I'm trying to say, people often react as though, oh, well, she's kind of bossy, you know. But you have a boy with a personality that may be the same and you know people will talk about my son and say oh he's going to be president someday but if it was if he were a girl people wouldn't say that yeah 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 and yeah. so anyway this international filmmaker syndrome i i ran into a guy on a plane who struck up a conversation with me and then he introduced himself as an international filmmaker and immediately i felt 2 inches tall I mean, I've worked all over the world. I've worked in Australia, and I've worked in Russia, and I've worked in the UK, and the Netherlands, and the United States, and Canada, and, you know, I'm an international filmmaker, but, you know, I'm not Steven Spielberg, so I would never introduce myself as an international filmmaker, because I always think of myself in terms of what I still want to achieve, as opposed to where, what I've already done. Ah, uh, okay. And that's a key difference, I, and, and I think... I think that's something that creatives struggle with, but especially creative women. We struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, so I, I wrote this blog about how this guy made me, without even trying, I mean, he wasn't being arrogant or, or cocky or mean about it at all. He just confidently stuck his hand out and said, hey, I'm an international filmmaker, what do you do? And, and my response was, um, that's cool. I work in media too. I mean, I didn't even want to tell him what I do do because this guy's an international filmmaker. That's really something. And then I went and looked at his work 
And my four-year-old could have done better stuff. My God. <laughs> I, you know, it was it was shocking. Yeah. And then I yeah. Thought, what uh, is it about how we introduce ourselves that allows people to value or devalue what we bring to the table, men or women? Working with a lot of guys in in media and um just knowing the value of what what you said you are you are in fact an international filmmaker like this guy you know and it really that 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 spoke to me because i said you know there's a lot of women a lot of young girls who think that you know you know well if i look like hillary clinton or if i look like you know oprah or whoever i'm you know I got to, you know, you know, you're a pastor's wife. You're not. I have a good friend of mine who's a pastor in Panama City, Florida, single, uh, mid-30s, very, she can't find any good guys. I mean, she, I'm like, oh, my God, because the guys are so, you know, intimidated because she's a powerful pastor, you know? And I'm like, man, you know, if the guys, are, we, if our ego sometimes, you know, <laughs> but that's another conversation, but you know how it is. And yeah, I know in media different interview on that yeah 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 yeah. but but tell me about when you were on the plane so basically the premise of the article basically you know so you said when you look into the mirror and decide what you're going to say next time you know you know make sure it accurately reflects what you do inflated or diminished and that was powerful to me right there you know Uh, because a lot of times you say hey i'm so and so and i do bam and are you defined by that or you know because I had a hard time calling myself an expert. I'll be honest. For years, a tech expert, tech expert. I didn't like that. But then I'm just coming to the fact that, hey, I've been doing church tech for so long. You know what? I am a media expert now. But it's it feels a little bit, you know, until other people kind of validate you sometimes, Sarah. You ever feel like that? Oh, yeah. I, I You know, I think there are people out there who think I do a much better job than I think I do. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. I'm glad they think that. I want them to keep thinking that. But... I am very, very hard on myself. And part of that, I think, is my personality type. Part of that is culture. Part of that is just being a creative person. Um, Creative people are always wanting to get better, do things better, find a fresh way to do things. So we're never willing to sit back and just be satisfied and be like, yep, I did it. It's all done. Because we're always wanting to improve. And that's good. That's what keeps things going. That's what keeps us from stagnating. And, um, but another thing that I think is a big problem, or not a problem perhaps, but, but a challenge for creatives, creatives like me, well, I do a dozen different things. And if I set my mind to it, I know I will do it well. But that makes it hard because when someone says, what do you do? I can't say, I'm a banker, I'm a lawyer, I'm a police officer. Those don't, those don't sum up. There isn't a one word term that's easily understandable that sums up what I do. I listen to people, I feel out their needs, I find a way to meet their needs. And in the meantime, my mind is going a million miles a minute on strategies and processes and operations and ways to break the big picture down into bite-sized pieces. And so when I realized that part of limiting myself was the fact that I didn't even know how to quantify what I do, 
that I realized I needed to step back and figure out how do I define my skill set and what I have to offer Mm -hmm. because nobody else is going to be able to define it if I can't even do that. You're a writer too. I mean, you're author. I mean, my gosh, you can add so many things to that, to that (laughs) list. I mean, you can add so many things to that list, but no, no, I, I, I know, I know that you don't want to undervalue. So there's a lot of women and men. Uh, I talk to more women a lot about this, some guys, but who really, you know, had a friend of mine who did, she did our first like public kind of speech and she didn't know how, how it went. It went, went over very, very well. But I think after that happened, she's like, okay, I am pretty good at this. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes you need that boost of confidence or that boost. Well, you know, culture tells us it's not ladylike to say, Hey, I'm really good at this. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's true. We don't, I don't think women should go around and and just start boasting about everything because I think that's just in poor taste, whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah, both. I agree. But, but culturally it's accepted as good leadership. If a man clearly and accurately defines what he does and what he's good at, it's a bit uncouth if a woman does it in the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm not saying it is uncouth. It's considered to be a bit uncouth if a woman does Mm -hmm. it the same way. So one of of the favorite things that that I have started telling myself, my own little saying is, I don't have to do a man's job a man's way to feel like a woman. Mm -hmm. I need to find a way to do the job in a woman's way to feel like a woman. So I don't have to feel like, and I don't want my daughter to grow up feeling like she just has to act like a man to become successful at whatever it is that she is called to do in her life. Mm-hmm. I think women who are gifted and talented should be able to be free to figure out a way to be successful in their way, in a way that is womanly and ladylike, but that is also successful and is not limited by the fact that they are women. Wow. You seem to, and, and I know you go on to write, and, and this is so, so, so interesting. On media, you talk about sociopaths and and all of this stuff. My God, we could go on and on forever. I don't have that much time, but my gosh, do an interview just on surviving sociopaths and narcissists in the workplace. Yes, we will. We will. Long time. Yeah, I see. I see. That's why I didn't even go into that yet. I just love the filmmaker syndrome and and, and stuff like that, Sarah. So tell up, tell everyone how to get in contact with you on Twitter and your your website. Okay. Well. My production's website, and it's actually in the process of getting a refresh over this fall. So in a little while, we're going to have a, a new version of it. But it's www.skamediaproductions.com. That's S-K-A mediaproductions.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Skamedia. And that's where I share um, media, like production film and production related stuff. I share my own thoughts and things that have to do with being a resource broker and business matchmaker on Twitter at Sarah Asafte and on my Facebook page at Sarah K. Asafte. So. Good, good, good. Yeah, I, I just really see it says niche uh, marketing, media, management, social chief imaginator. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love your picture, Sarah. The pictures you take when you are looking like that i mean your pictures are just so i know you get a lot of calls just sidebar Sarah. you probably get a lot of calls about modeling and being you know 
<laughs> says, who take your okay, pictures? No, I won't go into that. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But no, no, it's just funny because your picture, when you have your, your you know, you're looking the other way, it's like, okay, who is she? <laughs> She's looking at me sideways. It's, it's if it, if it makes you ask a question, and that's the same thing. You asked me earlier, you asked me earlier how I went to look in the mirror and decide how I'm going to introduce myself. Uh-huh. And that's when... I took a phrase that somebody had mentioned to me in passing, and that's where Resource Broker came from. That's a great, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm a that's Resource a Broker. Song. And then people say, huh, what's that? Exactly. And then I have the opportunity to explain. Same thing with the picture. It makes people go say, huh, who's, what's that? Who's that? And then you get to explain. Yeah, yeah. You probably get that a lot, a lot, a lot. I so. do. <laughs> That's why I didn't even ask you, but it, it's 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 good anyway. But hey, I appreciate your time uh, for talking to me, and we'll we will talk about sociopaths. That is going to be part two. We got to get together uh, shortly, and that's a whole never have a whole list of questions. I even show you right here my book about the whole sociopath stuff because we've all had horrible bosses, like the movie, the movie Horrible Bosses. <laughs> we've all had that, and uh, to get through them. Uh, so thanks for your time. My pleasure.